Hello everyone, this is Reverend Kunjan Cedarman. I thank everyone for continuously supporting this podcast. Um, I'm sorry it's been a little while since I've been able to do a uh, new podcast for you, so I appreciate your patience. Today I want to speak on the protection of the teachings. Um, this is coming off a lecture that I recently had concerning uh, the apathy that I believe is expressed in modern Buddhism, in which, for example, uh, most modern Buddhists tend to be of their own person for their own personal practice, and that actually don't see Buddhists uh, protecting other Buddhists or protecting Buddhism, or um, righting wrongs or justice, etc. Um, it tends to be a natural aversion, and and again, that in that lecture I spoke specifically of what I thought were the reasons for such. However, I wanted to talk more specifically because this is a, co uh, a topic that usually comes up because of these kind of gross misunderstandings that I believe um, have been perpetuated because a lot of the early Buddhist uh, teachings were interpretations of people uh, who were not necessarily ordained or um, highly studied. They attempted, because at that time there was no information readily available or not much, and they attempted to interpret the teachings according to perhaps uh, more of the time and place in which they existed and what was going on in the world. However, myself, I like to go and see and, and investigate what the Buddha said in the particular and in, in what's taught in the sutra. So this concept of the idea of pacifism, uh, which is also always kind of shown. I mean, in Nichiren Buddhism, we have never despising Bodhisattva. Uh, in the idea of nonviolence, and also we have many groups associated with Nichiren Buddhism, such as Nippon Zamyohoji, who are against nuclear weapons, uh, war, etc., and that is their mission. Um, what I would like to share with you is perhaps one of the less known uh, teachings um, that is taught, that are expounded in the Nirvana Sutra. Uh, the Nirvana Sutra is seen as a um, a book that goes along with the Lotus Sutra to help us understand in practical terms because the Lotus Sutra speaks in this very magnificent, uh, supernatural, um, and of course the eternal Buddha's true mind is expounded there. So sometimes for laity uh, it's very difficult or, or people to understand what is actually being taught because it's it's extremely... Uh, essence-based. And the Nirvana Sutra tends to be a little more practical in, in that it goes into more specifics. And the idea that we have, and, and again, let me tell you where this question is coming from. Um, there are many uh, ancient cultures throughout the world, especially in the Middle East, and that, that used to be Buddhist countries. And so it has many uh, famous Buddhist artworks such as in the uh, in Afghanistan, and that that modern uh, religious zealots are destroying, and it's interesting because there tends to be there there was a great movement to protect the the great Buddhist statues in Afghanistan, but actually nothing was really done. I mean, it was spoken out against, but no one actually defended it and actually was destroyed, and some modern Buddhists actually take the stance that, you know, the idea of impermanence and emptiness, so therefore, why are we attached to these um, relics of the past? But the 
Buddha says specifically in the Nirvana Sutra about the protection of the teachings. And, and this might give you a little more clarity. It gave me clarity as to the idea of, okay, uh, Buddhists are absolute, uh, absolutely, um, uh, you know, um, nonviolent. But are they necessarily pacifist uh, all the time? Or is there a medium? Is there a middle way? Is there, uh, we hear about them uh, that in some traditions to protect the Dharma, etc. How does that work? So I wanted to share the particular, this is from Fasco 3 uh, of the uh, Nirvana Sutra. It says, first of all, the Buddha said, Kashapa, and this was speaking to Kashapa, um, it is by the means of causality resulting from upholding the true Dharma that one achieves the admintine body. That means the pure, indestructible body of the, of the Buddha. So therefore, through Buddhism, we can attain this perfect and impenetrable body. And once we've attained this body, uh, permanent and indestructible, good man, those who are committed to upholding the true Dharma, regardless of whether or not they themselves have accepted the five lay precepts or carry out the proper observances will do whatever it takes to defend those pure monks who do keep the precepts even wielding knives and swords bows and arrows or halibuds and lances in their defense there is a this allows us to perhaps understand why many famous martial traditions such as what you see in the shaolin temple uh, Gong Fu, uh, plus of the many uh, arts, uh, martial arts in Japan and throughout other Asian countries that have this very um, deep connection with Buddhism. Uh, and why in many cases, as you see, they were propagated or taught uh, or transmitted in Buddhist temples because it seems quite contradictory if Buddhists were against violence in any way. Uh, but it also says here that lay people or these people who protect, who are not ordained, um, will do whatever it takes to defend the Dharma in the defense. So it makes it very clear that this is defense rather than offense, right? So obviously uh, is defending the truth of the Dharma that once somebody has attained, they are then, then protected. So during Buddha's time, of course, even as we may not be aware of, the Buddha had many enemies. Uh, the Buddha had many times had been attempted, uh, many attempts on his life. Um, and also he had protection of kings and other uh, powerful people. The Bodhisattva Kashyapa then addressed the Buddha again, asking, World, one, World Honored One, if one comes across the monk who lives apart from any protected community, uh, residing alone in isolated quiet spot in the hills or under a tree, should we call that person a tree, true bhiksu, a true monk? And it says the question, what about a person who follows someone, provides protection for the Dharma? Should we recognize such people as householder shavelings? So they call shavelings. Shavelings is actually, which you may not be uh, familiar with this term, shavelings is a derogatory term, actually. Uh, it means a clergyman or a priest with a tonsured head. So that means somebody who has accept um, the role of a priest or a monk. But it's, a, again, a um, derogatory statement. 
The Buddha then informs Kashapa and corrects his language. It says, do not use such language, calling them householder shavelings. Uh, there may be an individual, there may be individual mendicants who, wherever they go, comport themselves in a manner that is deserving, deserving of offerings. They may read and recite sutras and engage in contemplation and seated meditation. Um, and when people come to them with questions on the Dharma, they may give them a sermon speaking about charity, discipline, merit-making, minimizing desire, and knowing satisfaction therein. Um, this is the idea that they're speaking of a certain class of practitioners that do not belong to a Sangha. So they, in a way, may be a little more on the idea of the Prataki or private Buddha side. Um, but they may be able to preach in various ways. They will never have the authority of the lion's roar. The lion's roar, of course, is the Buddha's voice. They will not be surrounded uh, by other lions. So people who are equal to that of the Buddha, they will not be surrounded. They'll be surrounded by regular folks. And they will not be able to vanquish the wicked who violate the norms of behavior. So they, they won't necessarily be able to correct wrongs of behavior in society. Bhikshus such as these ultimately are unable to benefit themselves and they are unable to benefit others. You should understand these people to be lazy idlers. Although they may hold the precepts and promote the pure practices of a Brahmin, uh, those people cannot really do anything. This is actually speaking of another type of community. This is the idea of um, as we may say in modern terms, the idea of independent Buddhists, those who do not wish to join a Sangha. So the Buddha actually says that it's important and indefinitely uh, uh, supportive of one's practice that if one does not uh, become a member of the Sangha, then they will be considered to be lazy idlers. So in a much more controversial sense that... Um, now we have many independent practitioners throughout the world. Uh, this is basically what the Buddha is saying, is that they, they uh, may defend the Dharma, they may believe in uh, many uh, great teachings. However, uh, they will not be able to uh, sit amongst other, uh, how do you say, cultivated practitioners. So they will not have the authority of the lion's roar or not be surrounded by those with the lion's roar. That means the true words of the Buddha. It says, there may be bhikshus who comport themselves in a manner that is deserving of offerings. That means they observe the precepts. But only if they are also able to accept the precepts and restrictions of our community. That means the Sangha. And maintain them as such, They will they be able to affect the lion's roar when they preach the sublime dharma. So that means that if one is not actively part of a Sangha, uh, then they will not be able to truly transmit the teachings of the Buddha. That's what the Buddha is saying here. And this will be so throughout the ninefold canon of scriptures. That means all the teachings the, and are preached in order to benefit and comfort living beings. That is sutras, verses, predictions, metric narratives, proclamations, past life stories of the Buddha's disciples, past life stories of the Buddha, extended discourses and miracles of the Buddha. So he then goes on to state, you may declare the following. So this is a very big statement. In the Nirvana Sutra, the Buddha established restrictions on the bhikshus or monks such that they should not keep slaves, 
cows, sheep, or anything improper. If there is a monk who keeps anything improper like this, he must be reined in. That means by the community. So there is definitely an important aspect of the um, support and restrictions of the community that one does not necessarily go off the rails uh, and teach something that is not pro in proper um, parallel with Buddhism. The Tathagata also explained in previous sutras that when there are monks who keep improper things such as these, you should chase them down and return them to lay status. That's so that they can't hurt other people. Uh, just like any given king controls his country according to his dharma. So this kind of laxidation of uh, you know, the idea of a formal sangha and people believing themselves to be, uh, quote, independent, of a sangha or of a tradition, um, the Buddha is correcting this this thought um, that we should actually, in a way, if they can, if they say that they are clergy, uh, they should be um, uh, kind of chased down. That means uh, brought down and then corrected uh, by returning them to lay status, so that they can do no harm. Um, that sounds very serious, and and you know. We have a certain laxity amongst modern Buddhists because they don't understand the concept of the Sangha or the importance of the Sangha or the restrictions of the Buddha. Everyone is kind of practicing um, as, they as they see fit or as they feel fit. This is one of absolutely the um, hallmarks of the independent movement in that they actually, um, in a way, put themselves up as... Uh, practitioners and representatives of the Buddha, even transmitting such things as mandalas and all kinds of practices without them actually in a way. And, and, and it's very important that they perhaps understand their advert, their, uh, how do you say, adversity or uh, avoidance of becoming a member of the Sangha that they, uh, the Buddha is asking them to look into. So they return to lay status. And it states here, this is the big quote, whenever there is a big Sioux who can roar like a lion in this way, the precept breakers who hear him uh, speak will, uh, him that hear him speak, will be all consumed with rage and attack the Dharma master. So actually, and this is something that's quite common with independence or people who have uh, left the formal Sangha, they will, uh, of course, always challenge the structure of the Sangha, the, the structure of the clergy, the structure of the practice. Um, this Dharma preacher, however, even if his life were to end as a result, would be known as one who had kept the precepts benefiting himself and others. So um, this means that he's in the proper harmony with the Sangha. And then this is what the admonishment from the Buddha towards uh, people to defend such a priest because there will be people that when they are perhaps their, how do you say, selfish or independent concepts beyond the Buddhism that they call it Buddhism or pretended to be Buddhism. Uh, for this reason, I give sovereigns, government officials, royal counselors, and Buddhist laymen permission to protect Dharma preachers. So, the Buddha has given us permission to protect the Dharma at whatever cost. Anyone who wants to protect the true Dharma effectively should study what has been outlined here. So the Buddha is saying here that 
you must understand this context when one decides to protect the Dharma. But then one also must understand that one has the obligation to protect the Dharma. So therefore, as uh, Buddhist practitioners, as members of the Sangha, we have a obligation to protect Buddhism, to protect Buddhists. Um, that is why I started um, the National Association of Buddhists, because uh, there is no one around the world protecting Buddhists. Um, when we think of Afghanistan, the, immediately in my mind, of course, other religions immediately started helping their folks, such as Christians were getting them out of the country due to protect them from extremists, etc. But what about the Buddhism? Was there any Buddhists in Afghanistan? And if you look online, it actually says there's none. But actually, in the year 2013, there were over 7,000. And now, after the 20 years of the um, the changing of the community and that, such as having uh, access to the Internet, I guarantee that that's about four to five times as much. Uh, and those people are there in a country that perhaps they will be persecuted uh, as practitioners of the Dharma. So we as a Sangha should, should think how to support them as well as others who are being persecuted um, and to protect the Dharma to defend the Dharma, to defend practitioners. Uh, and we need to take that into consideration and be more serious about it. So that's why um, this is something that I wanted to share with all of you. So um, I hope that we can be able to be less lazy idlers as the Buddha and be more active uh, defenders of the Dharma uh, in our practice and lives. Because that is the uh, salvation that we give to ourselves and, and allow others to find within the refuge of the Sangha, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the three treasures. So thank you very much again for your support. I hope this was useful. I hope this opens up more dialogue, and I look forward to uh, meeting with all of you again. Thank you very much. Namu Myoho Renge Kyo.